0: Today, for you, I will be reading and also preaching from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 19. Hear now the word of God. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when other priests, another priest rises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness in its uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this hope, that this better hope This better hope that is based upon a power of indestructible life. And that we have this promise of drawing near to you. Father, help us to be evident to us this day that we would be assured and confident. And that our hearts would be transformed. And that your spirit would do a miraculous work inside of us for the furthering of your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a quick recap again about where we are in Hebrews. There are a lot of things going on in Hebrews that can be distracting. And we are here in the middle of talking about Melchizedek. and. I know that in the past couple of weeks, it's been a, a distraction to me. I have been so captured by trying to find out more about this Melchizedek, and the scriptures give us very little. And so whenever you get to that point, it's better to go back to what we do know and what we have heard and what we do understand. And as I've mentioned before in the past, there's an outline that kind of goes over and over again in the book of Hebrews that is based upon out of Hebrews chapter 4 of this striving to enter into God's rest, holding fast his confession, and drawing near to Jesus who is our forerunner. And here in this particular passage, we do want to magnify and continue to think about the things that we do know. And we have here the Psalm 110 again, that we know that this priest forever to the order of Melchizedek is something beyond and better than the Levitical priesthood. It is very clear and it is very evident that it's over and over again that the writer to the Hebrews is wanting to show the superiority of Jesus Christ over everything. And these are things that are precious and near and dear, particularly to the Hebrews, but also near and dear to us in many different ways and should be. But it is constantly reminding us that Jesus is the point of these things, in the superior person over all of these things that we see throughout the Old Testament and in the New, that Jesus is the centerpiece of it all. This is all going somewhere. It is easy for us to go, why would God throw this curveball to us of Melchizedek? And it's not a matter of to get us confused, like, where did he come from? We knew from last week that he did not have a mother or a father, is what it said. And we have the debate of whether that is, we don't have a record of the mother and father, or did he really not have the mother and father? Was he a man or was he a Christophany? And there's all these things that we can get caught up with. But the focus is, is that it is a superior priesthood. That it is necessary that it is a superior priesthood, because the priesthood that is given to the line of Aaron, the Levites, is by man. Something that is indestructible and something that is temporal What we have in Jesus Christ, what we have through his high priesthood, is something that is eternal. And the point and purpose of this constant reminder is not to get us confused or to get us distracted, but it is ultimately to give us hope and to give us confidence. And it's to give us hope and confidence, not in just hypothetical ministry or broad definitions but in the particular day-by-day strife that we have in life to continue to further on in faithfulness to obeying him and to furthering his kingdom. So this is all going somewhere, and so I pray that you would continue to press on because these particular words, I know when I've read them over and over again, it's hard for me to make them super interesting in a way that I think that people could quickly connect to But I think that there are things here that if we hone in and focus on them, they're very exciting and very interesting to us. The very first verse here, it says, now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, let's stop there. What do we see here in this very first sentence? Perfection. Now, everyone who has come here today, I know you've come here to worship the Lord. I know that you are seeking to be faithful. I know that you want to be encouraged. You want to be lifted up. You want to be able to honor the Lord. You want to seek his kingdom further. But then when you woke up this morning, did you dwell and think about, as one of your primary goals, that you're seeking perfection? Now, in many respects, we're looking for perfection in certain um, attributes, maybe. Maybe we want to look perfect, or maybe we want to do certain things perfect, or perform perfectly on things that are successful, or we want to maybe perfectly receive adoration and, and affirmation from other people. But to truly think about what that is here in this verse, perfection, it is teaching us just in that one verse alone That there is a goal of perfection. That there is a hope of perfection. That we are actually, as we are striving to enter his rest, we are looking forward to perfection. What does that mean? What does that look like? In light of everything that we're seeing here in the book of Hebrews about the superiority of Jesus Christ, what does our perfection have to do with it? We know that Jesus is perfect. But what about our own perfection? Well, what we see here is that because of this superior priesthood through the line and the order of Melchizedek, not the line of Melchizedek, but the order of Melchizedek, because it is not of a line. That's one of the purposes, that it's not a, a passed down bodily line of people, that it is something that stands alone, that is superior to the line of Levi, the order of Melchizedek. We see here that because of that superiority, we can have now and be strengthened through our suffering, and likely even our persecutions, that as we hold on to this hope, that one of the things that will come is perfection. Jesus is a superhero. Now, when I think about superheroes, there's people that come into mind very quickly, we can often hear conversations, I know that I seen this amongst boys more than I see amongst girls, and I even see it amongst adult men at work. I've had adult men come by, they like to talk about all kinds of different things. I've had adult men come by and say, just like I did when I was in elementary school, if you were a superhero, what superpower would you want to have? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, what is the best? You know, Is it is it to be able to have the laser beam eyes, or is it to be able to... To, be, to disappear, and I'm sure most of you, men and women and boys and girls, have thought about that. What would be the superpower that you would pick if you got to be a superhero? What we see here is that Jesus is superior to all the superheroes, and I'm not talking about in the MC universe. We see here in the book of Hebrews all kinds of heroes of the faith. It's called a hall of faith as we get further along in in Hebrews. There's all of these people that we're being reminded of, and we know very contextually that the writer to the Hebrews was wanting to encourage the Hebrews as they think about all of the heroes of the faith, that they would look to see that Jesus was superior, that he was the superhero of all the heroes, that all of the heroes were ultimately pointing to and serving the superhero. Who is Jesus Christ? And we see here in this passage as it's trying to explain to us that we cannot hold on to the Levitical priesthood. We cannot hold on even to Moses. We cannot even hold on to hope in the very law of God. Now, these kind of words are almost blasphemous if you think about it, in how they were, this particular audience held up the law. And in some sense, they should even make us uncomfortable when we see these particular words that the law in its weakness and its uselessness, in some ways that would tempt some of us to go, woohoo, that's useless to obey the law. I'm glad to get rid of that. But that's not what the point is. And it even gives us in parentheses, the law for the law made nothing perfect. It's not saying that the law is useless. We also see in God's word that it is very useful. It is a teacher that it exposes to us both our weakness of character and the greatness of the God's perfect character. So it is very useful in teaching us and guiding us and drawing us. And we also know that God's word is powerful. But when it comes to making us perfect, the law in and of itself has nothing that it can give. It is useless. It is not a superpower in of itself that if like I will be able to be victorious, if I could just obey the law fully and it would be true. But the reality is too late. <laughs> You're already condemned to death from the very moment that Adam and Eve fell. We've inherited it. We have become sinful people. Mankind has been disabled from being able to have that superpower, we cannot have perfection through obedience to the law. We must rely on a superhero, superhero, which is Jesus Christ. And that is the point of this particular passage when it comes to highlighting that the priesthood has to be something extraordinary beyond man. It has to be something beyond Levi something that is destructible because this particular line of priesthood was temporary. Now, to bring this down for us on a very basic level, we need to be encouraged to be thinking about the things that God has blessed, that are good, that are not necessarily useless in of its for its own purpose, but that everything that we have, this building, this church, our families, our relationships as husband and wife, brothers and sisters in the flesh, or co-workers or employment or our particular gifts, in of themselves, they are all useless to us, and in many respects, most of those things, just like this building, and hopefully not today, I'm hearing those cracks and they're making me a little nervous there. That <laughs> we get some new supports in there soon. Those are all destructible. My wife left, I didn't wanted to leave when I said this point, but one of the things we talk about is how our marriage is temporary. There will be an end to our marriage as husband and wife. It is destructible in some sense because it is not an eternal relationship. My relationship to her as brother and her relationship to me as sister in Christ is eternal. And this is where we need to have our focus because here they're, wanting to, they're being encouraged to move on from the very basics and the very foundational things to consider the things where God is wanting us to go because this is going somewhere for an eternal purpose. And when we see the things that happen day by day, like for instance, you know, I put these heaters in this morning. I came in early and I turned them on and I go, oh, I don't know if I should leave them on. You know, they just put those power outlets in this past week. And what if something was wrong and the whole place burns down? How disappointing would that be, right? If we came back on our first day and it's just a smoldering pile of ash. would be like, wow, that was a lot of work for, what, nothing? No, it was not for nothing. The building is indestructible, but our purposes in the kingdom are not. And these are the kind of the real things that the people, the Hebrews, were dealing with is that they're striving to obey God, and they're seeing things, and they're especially more so than us, they're seeing this transition from the Old to the New Covenant, and they're seeing things that are passed away that are now in Christ, and they're trying to understand where to put their hope as they are actually suffering persecution and difficulty in following Jesus Christ. Now, we have our own persecutions and difficulties But we often can very quickly lose hope when certain structures of our life and certain institutions or relationships that are temporal, when they fade away or they are destroyed, we begin to think, is there any hope for any of these things? So what I want you to remember through these passages, three things here. That through this power of indestructible life, that it is a real power, number one, that you see in verse 16. That it is not based upon bodily descent. It is not based upon the things that are temporal and fleshly. That the hope that we have is a real power. Number two, in verse 18, we are taught that we have a real hope because we have this power, we have a real hope. And it is not a hope that's based upon obedience to the commandments. We know and we are reminded continually by Satan that we will fail, that we are failures. And so our hope is easily to be dispersed and destroyed whenever we are basing it upon our own performance. But because of this order of Melchizedek and what Jesus did as the high priest for us, we have a real hope. And that real hope is embedded into the things that we deal with day by day. That if this building were to burn down, that I would still have a real hope that it had a purpose that was based upon the things that God had called. If we have people in our congregation or in our family that may pass away, even this day, our hope is not based upon that. Our hope is based upon the things that go beyond that, that if they are in Christ, that we have an eternal hope that we will be with them, worshiping the Lord forever. And then thirdly, we have a real presence that here we see that this point of perfection is not so that we can do a comparison run of how much more perfect we are to other people or if we were like superheroes, like how strong I would be. If I was perfect, I'd be able to lift this thing or be able to do this thing or to accomplish this thing or maybe I could make myself invisible. Those are not the plans of our perfection. Our plans of perfection that are accomplished because of this order of Melchizedek that Jesus Christ fulfills in his priesthood Is so that we may be drawn near to God, to God, that we may have a real presence with God. And I believe that both in the church and also in the world, these are three things that are desirable. That when we look at the world today, many of us feel powerless. We feel like that there's no matter how hard we try to do this or that, it's all in vain. And that happens to all of us, whether we believe or we, whether we do not believe. When we look at the world scene right now, we think, wow, there, you know, there, there's other people who have power. There's people who have control, and they're destroying our institutions. They're destroying the church. They're destroying the governments. They're destroying family life. They're destroying the definition of what it is to be a man or a woman. And we feel completely powerless to do anything about it. There is a hope that is greater in this because we have this hope because of what Jesus did by being the high priest, by going in the holy of holies and standing before the Father in his goodness and his wrath on our behalf. We actually have a real power in holding on to Christ. And we should be able to express that to each other. We should hold on to it ourselves as we are being discouraged in the world. But we're also to encourage each other about that particular power, but we're to express that into the world. It's interesting that you brought up what was going on, did you say Japan or in China where they're in Japan. The conversation that was going on a lot at my work, they had a session, they do these brown bag lunch. Uh, sessions where they talk about different things that are not required by the employees, but you can go and you can learn new things. And they were talking about AI. And it was causing some people to be fairly disturbed. And you have you know, computer programmers and, and developers and architects, program architects, <clears throat> they have already typed in some basic things to this chatbot thing of what they normally do. And they've had things kick out and spit out within seconds that are actually superior to their own work. And they're like, oh, my goodness we're out of a job, (laughs) it's gonna be gone. They can very quickly replicate the people who actually designed the AI faster than anything that they would have ever imagined. And there was a lot of hopelessness that, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? and i was talking to some christians about that and how it's going to revolutionize the workplace it's going it's already revolutionizing academia because professors don't know whether or not the papers they're receiving from people anymore are actually been written by the people or written by a computer and i happened to listen to some pastors on a podcast talk about ai and they were talking about how you can go in there and you can type Give me a three-point sermon on 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 6, and it will do one and be very articulate. (laughs) And some of these pastors, not confessing for themselves, said they've already heard other pastors have used sermons verbatim from what they received from this AI. And so as I'm having conversations and I'm also listening to this podcast, both things came to be conclusive that... There is something more powerful than AI that is superior to this. That as this causes nervousness amongst people, none of this is apart from what God has called and what He has established by His word. One of the pastors says Can someone be saved from a sermon that's written by a computer? And the answer was very quick amongst the other pastors saying they can be saved if someone is proclaiming the word who hates God and despises God, who's even trying to defame God. Someone could be saved because what saves them is not the preacher. It's not even how articulate the preacher is. It's not even whether or not they are always accurate in what they're preaching. And that gives me a lot of encouragement. So I'm, it's like, wow, so it's not up to me and it's not with my accuracy. Now I do have to be held accountable to the thing, but God is going to continue to do his work that even if I purposely was opposed to God, that God's power is going to supersede. What is it? What is the motivating, what is the center power that saves people when there's the proclamation of his word? What is it? the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. This particular power and this particular hope and this particular presence that we have being articulated in this particular passage is ultimately pointing to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say that Melchizedek is the Holy Spirit. See, I mean, people have been focusing on this and debating this for a long time. They'll say, well, he was just a man. He was a regular king of Salem. No, he was a Christophany. He was Christ pre-incarnate. And because when we begin to see what's going on in this particular passage and others, that what's actually empowering this to be based upon a power of an indestructible life, we begin to start thinking, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like the Holy Spirit. Who is it in Acts 10, 38, that anoints Jesus Christ for ministry? It is the Holy Spirit. It is what gave him his priesthood and his kingship. And we know that Melchizedek is both the king of peace and the king of righteousness. And he is the high priest of the most high God. He is both king and priest. And that's one reason why a lot of people think it's a Christophany. But the center power of this, regardless of whether he was a man or whether he was a Christophany or whether it is the Holy Spirit, we know that the center power that is being articulated here in this particular verse, this power of indestructible life is the power of the Holy Spirit that even though we may be able to create by taking everything that God has already created, which is always funny. I mean, nobody's creating their own cells and creating their own matter to be able to try to make human beings. And whether they can get all the data of the world and put it into a computer and have a program that can output a very articulate sermon that could be superior to any of mine any day, that only thing that's going to empower a great hope that's not destructible is the power of the Holy Spirit. Those particular men that will be made by other men by borrowing God's creation will die. But the Spirit, if God chooses to embody a a spirit into a person, whether it's been through us taking again all the things that God has created, that spirit is made by God, just as the matter and the elements that created the flesh. But the Spirit will live eternally is indestructible and our hope for an eternal life with hope is based upon the holy spirit and so when we begin to understand that this power isn't based upon because you know if you look at melchizedek as a man you can go well wouldn't it be wouldn't the hope die because if melchizedek was just a man wouldn't he have died also well in that particular case we know that we were hoping in something that is more powerful than even melchizedek himself that it is based upon the spirit that resided with Melchizedek to be both king and priest. If it is a Christophany, we know that that it is still the Holy Spirit that is embodied in Christ, and we see that everything in the gospel that empowered Christ's ministry had to do with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if it is the Holy Spirit himself, we can tell that our hope and our empowerment, just like we see in Acts chapter 2, is that we have the hope and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for those who repent and believe and follow after Jesus Christ. It is ultimately the promise that has been given to us. We see it in the prophet Joel. We see it in Jesus Christ himself, who is constantly promising the outflow of the Holy Spirit. It is how his priesthood has been impacted upon us, and it is how his kingdom will continue to further through the Holy Spirit. We see this in Mark 1, 7 through 11. It says, After me comes he who is mightier mightier than I, the strap whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop stoop down and untie. This is John the Baptist speaking. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, even John's baptism had a type of temporal nature to it in of itself for this cleansing, this representation of this washing from sin, but it is not empowered or even helpful if it is not a baptism ultimately in the Holy Spirit. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And we know that in that particular moment was the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. That is his anointing of the Holy Spirit. He is being anointed for his work as the high priest. And in preparation for his continuance as the king of kings. In Acts chapter 1, we are being reminded there also That in the very beginning of that book, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then further in Acts chapter two, after he <clears throat> again he was as um, Peter is preaching, it says, "But this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be." God declares, "I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit." and they shall prophesy. The amazing thing about this superhero of all heroes is that his superpower of the Holy Spirit has been given to his disciples. When we think about what it is that is a superpower to have, here we have the power to be enlivened for eternally, for an indestructible life. To have the visions of who God is and what his kingdom is to be and to proclaim that to a world is the greatest superpower that anyone could ever have. And it resides from the Holy Spirit being accomplished and provided for us because of the high priestly work of Jesus Christ. Because in Acts 2:24, it says that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. Because Jesus Christ' priestly work, and because of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it loosened not only the pangs and the pain and the shame, but the power of death for himself and for all who follow after him. What other superpower would we want other than an indestructible life? Is that a hope that you have? Is your focus and your hope now residing in that? And we get tested day by day by that. Whenever we have something that cracks and pops and seems it might fall through, begin to go oh all hope is lost and you feel powerless and in those moments when you are experiencing loss you often feel very far from God but that is a deception that is a deception that Satan puts before us to confuse us and that is why this book of Hebrews was given to us is to awaken us to open our eyes to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we would not be dull in hearing like we got in a couple of weeks ago, and that we are able to graduate in understanding for the glory of God and for holding on to tight things, but so that we may have the hope of drawing near to God. They say that the number one concern in our world today is people feel lonely. I know I've talked about this before. You know, we are more people on the earth than we've ever been before. We have more and greater access to people than we've ever had before. And we feel lonely. But in this particular power, in this particular hope that we have with the Holy Spirit that was accomplished and purchased for us through Jesus Christ and his high priestly work, we have his real presence (laughs) We do. We have, we have the Holy Spirit amongst us. It's not that he is absent. It's not that he is inactive. It's that we are not recognizing him. That is why the writer to the Hebrews is telling us that he wants to wake us up from our dull hearing so that we may see the reality of what Christ has accomplished in his superiority for his greatness and for our good. And that is something to be very hopeful in. In Acts chapter 2, verse 31, it says, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. There were people there that day that did not get what was going on. They did not get in the midst. Of, if you can imagine, if you can be walking with Jesus and not recognize that you had Jesus with you. Imagine those people who were there when the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was occurring. And they were confused that it was just people losing their minds. But the Holy Spirit was active. Jesus walked upon the earth. Jesus died and rose again and poured out his Holy Spirit upon his people. And there were still people there that did not get it in that very extraordinary time in history. And we today are very much sometimes still in that same boat. Even those who are believers, we see here that the whole... The tenor of this passage or this particular book is that you need to wake up and see what the Holy Spirit is doing, what Christ has accomplished, and how Christ's superior kingdom is at hand. It says that for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The very sermon that was preached and this explosive thing happened was referencing the same passage that the writer of Hebrews is referencing, Psalm 110, which has given us this the dilemma of trying to understand how can Jesus, who is of the line of David, be the Lord of David? And how can this priest, who is not of the line of Levi, be superior To all the priesthood? And the answer to that is because of the power of the indestructible life of God that is empowered and moves through and by the Holy Spirit. So, what is the response of these particular realities? All of this could be just some heady stuff for us, but the purpose of this particular book is that we would bring this home and that we would be able to take this with us. And initially, the first response is the same response that they had there at Pentecost. In chapter two, verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Our first response to this reality of what Jesus Christ has accomplished by being the superior high priest, the better high priest, the best high priest of the Most High God, is to repent. And to acknowledge that Jesus went before the Father in place of us. To repent of our sins. And to be baptized. To be able to be marked. This recognition of understanding that this baptism is pointing to the very work of the Holy Spirit. That we are acknowledging the work of the Holy Spirit. And our hope is in the Holy Spirit to empower that promise for us. And for our children. And for the ministry that furthers on. For the ministry of this church. That our hope must be. Through repentance and faith. That this promise will spread out to others in this community that do not know him. That is why it is imperative for us. Not only in our own furthering in this power that we first repent and believe. But we cannot be evangelical people. Unless we are people who live in continual repentance and faith and forgiveness. And to be a people constantly being assured of our own forgiveness when Satan causes us to have doubt. And the second response that we see here in the Pentecost is what we're here to, for today. In chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now listen to this, Folks, we're talking about the most powerful superpower of all time. And we want to know how that's applied and how that we can see that manifested, how we can have our hope strengthened and how we can experience that presence of that power of the Holy Spirit. We see it here in the verses 42 through 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just as Maharus has mentioned earlier, and as I did earlier in our prayer time, that if we are seeking the Lord, if we are seeking a greater power to be empowered by God, if we are seeking a hope to be encouraged and strengthened by God, and if we are desiring to be no longer lonely, but to be in the presence of God, we need to obey God and be before God, to open our eyes to be devoted to his teaching, to be devoted in fellowship with each other, to be so much in devotion to each other that all things are in common to each other, that we are to break bread together and to dwell around his table together with generous and grateful hearts. And that is where we see in the power of the Pentecost. We see the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out through what we would typically say are the mundane things of obedience to God. But it is the empowering of those things. It's not being a student of the word by itself. It's not eating this table together that there's some kind of magical thing inside of this bread or in this cup. But these are the avenues that God chooses to pour out that power, to pour out that hope, and to show forth his presence when we come to this table, we are to be encouraged by that. We are to know that he has promised that he is with us. That he wants us to do this, not just in remembrance of him, but that he promises that by doing this, that we would be full of him. And it's for those who believe. So again, be people of repentance and faith. Entrust and his promises of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us and then two, be devoted not only to his word but to each other as we serve together and he will further this power this indestructible power of life in and through us and for this ministry let us pray